All right, man. Welcome to Pro Triple Seven Radio. This is episode 535, which is actually part two of, let's see, the first, we're doing the Q&A with Fortune de Saint-Germain. The first half of this or the first half of the question submitted was in episode 530. This is episode 535. Jason Lingren is with me, as is Fortune de Saint-Germain. And welcome, Jason. And good morning. Welcome, Fortune. Ah, uh, good afternoon, my friends. Good afternoon. How are you? Doing wonderfully well as always, even in the midst of all of this darkness and chaos. But that's what we're all here for: to take the chaos and turn it in to take the chaos and turn it into oneness, and take the darkness and turn it into light. For today, as always, we are here to discuss and learn the art of alchemy infinity and miracles all right here we go jason you know where to pick up let's just jump right in i think we've got roughly the same number of questions to get through that we did in episode 530 how do we confidently teach our children to come out of babylon with us especially those who are old enough for a draft old enough to be young adults skeptical ones time is short Well, the best way to always teach is by example and then kindness and patience. But as we know and we have been talking about, uh, we cannot always uh, lead others out with us who do not want to come. So we, we have to make our decisions at this difficult time. And those who do not wish to come with us and stay behind in Egypt or in Sodom and Gomorrah or whatever term we choose to give us, uh, we, we have to make our peace with all of this because from our last broadcast, uh, as we have seen what's happening in Hawaii and other places, the walls continue to close in on us and time really now is of the essence. Uh, of course, we, you have to show love and kindness, but everyone gets a decision on their own. So if their decision is to come with you after all you've done and shown, that's fine. And if their decision is to stay behind, as painful as that may be, that has to be honored. Are the elite looking for another war? There's a large military buildup in Australia under the guidance of the United States. It seems that they really want a war with China because this is who it is aimed at. The elite are always looking for wars, and uh, wars are always very, very profitable. Uh, Plunder is always very profitable. Uh, For most of the people I speak to now who like my stories and the times I analyze about previous ages and things that have happened before us, You must understand that this is still a world of conquest and plunder. Uh, It just looks a lot better than in previous generations because the world uh, looks more sanitized and cleaner. But we are still on the old pillage and plunder model. And especially when you have problems at home and your own economy is tanking, when all else fails, they take you to war. And for the listeners who like the stories, Let's do it this way. Since we ask, we we talk about people in the past and we talk about what has happened. So as we speak about what is happening now, I say to you, this has all happened before over and over again. 
history shows us that man learns nothing from history. That's Hegel, by the way. So when the French Revolution broke out, you have to understand that money stopped, credit stopped, food stopped. Everything dries up. When a revolution happens, everything stops. Banks start lending, stop lending. Credit from other countries dries up until they can be guaranteed that their um, investments will return. So what did Napoleon and actually before Napoleon do? They went to war because when you don't have credit and you don't have lending coming in anymore and the food is not being grown, you turn outwards. You attack your neighbors for what you need, which is plunder and pillage. And it shows how much power a bank has, right? Tremendous. What are your thoughts on the Puritan settlers of America? The Puritans come with good intent, uh, just as the Huguenots came from France to England, and as the Amish came. And uh, religion is always a very, very good thing. But unfortunately, in our world, when people get control of the game, they tend to scream that the game isn't fair because they are not in control and uh, that the game is being, they are the uh, bad recipients of the game, meaning that they are being stamped on. And then when people get control of the machine, uh, they tend to do the stamping on other people. And that is the way of all organized religions, almost always. There have been exceptions. So the Puritans did come with good intent, uh, but you have to remember the Puritans were fanatical. So once you start on that basis where you have some sort of fundamentalist slash fanaticism, uh, that's always an open door and an invitation towards tyranny and uh, violence. Which European country or region do you see as most likely to be successful in pushing back? And which do you see is already the most far gone? They're all far gone. Uh, Can I interject here, Fortune? What what I kind of think is going on or what I witness, and maybe I'm not the best example because I don't watch news, but it seems to me that the crown-controlled countries like Canada and Australia are really getting the tip of that steel-toed boot. Well, you see, these are smaller countries uh, that have smaller populations. So these are the first of the test cases. Uh, the easiest to control in case there is blowback, of of which there has been little, if any. Uh, What you might want to do is actually, even though, let's get this straight, World War II, just like the wars going on today, they were all bad guys. Each one had a personal agenda behind the scenes. So the fact that America and England won the war you know, it was uh, six of one and half dozen of another. Uh, you're looking at each of the sides. Uh, none of them were, were clean and pure, uh, and they had nefarious agendas behind them. Uh, what you could do now, uh, there are places and settlements in Russia, miraculously, where you can be freer than many, many other places if you stay out of the cities. Certain places... You didn't, you didn't ask about Africa, certain places and countries in Africa. If they're the Western European NATO countries, they're gone. They're, they've all been consumed already. You, you'd have to go someplace uh, further out. And since Russia has such vast territories 
and swaths of land, uh, even though Russia is a dictatorship today. Uh, but that's all the countries now because we've lost all of our rights and privileges. Uh, uh, Russia does a lot better, uh, even though it's run by a strong man, again, Alisimo. And in the Edgar Casey readings, he did say that Russia will be a shining light to the world. All right, on this next question, uh, don't get fortune started on mortgages and home purchase, but go, go ahead, Jason. What happens with those who have already paid off their homes? Fortune, I think, if I remember correctly, uh, we talked maybe a little bit in the last QA about home ownership. And so if I remember correctly, you were telling what you and I always talk about, how the mortgage is a terrible thing. Uh, so this person, I am guessing, is asking the question from the position of someone who owns their home that's already paid off. All right. If you own your home and it's already paid off, the best advice is to stay there. As long as it's not the Hawaiian Islands or some you know place where uh, Northern California where the fires are going on, Calgary, Alberta, Canada, and uh, you know the Nightmare Alley zones, there still are places that are safe places right now. I would recommend stay where you are and hunker down. I I have to point out something to you. I am giving this to you as friends listening from a positive perspective. Because after World War II, as we spoke about in a previous episode, what they figured out was the Rockefeller Carnegie model, where you worked in the coal mines and then you rented apartments next door from the company, and then you bought things at the company store. So it was you were pumping money back into the machine, and they were getting all the money back that they gave you. What happened after World War II was they figured out how to do that in the mass way where you would buy the home, you would have it as a mortgage for the banks, you would send your children to university, you would pay taxes now on the land. So they found a way to get you to give everything back that you had earned. There are ways that you can do it in a better way, as we said. So if you're living uh, as families used to live with a few generations contributing, if the house is passed down to the next generation, there are still ways of doing it as a middle class or a poor family, but that requires cooperation, not competition. One of the reasons why we are in the situation that we're in is because you were told and most people bought that uh, evolution is based on competition. Evolution is based on cooperation. The universe works on cooperation and energy conservation, nothing being wasted. So when you get together and you band together as friends in a family and you work together to pool your resources, it can be done. But pass the house down to another generation. Do not be a fool and give your wealth back. Do not give your hard-earned blood, sweat, and tears to feed the beast and give it back to the machine. Fortune and I talk about this an awful lot, and this plays into what Jason and I have covered about breaking the family unit beginning in the 1960s or the part of my lifetime that I am aware of. Basically, the home that I live in was built by my grandfather. My father inherited it. Um, I have two siblings, so I had to buy them out. But the point that's being made here is in the old days when grandpa built a house, when that got paid off, that was family property that kept going. 
you know, and we're far from that now. And actually this house, when I die, I've already taken steps to ensure that it remains in the family because there's no debt on this home. And this is another thing that was craftily, craftily, well, we did it to ourselves. Um, we all go out and we get mortgages now, which is basically a death debt. Anyhow, I'm just, I'm spinning wheels. Let's keep moving. we got to get through all this, Jason. Does Fortune have sons and daughters doing good in the world, or at least holding on to the information that he has, i.e. for the St. Germain family to survive? Uh, this is very interesting. We have survived everything. We have survived the French Revolution, as we spoke about. And we grew bigger and better. We had generals that served France under both regimes. Uh, the king did not survive. Uh, and later on, the Napoleons did not survive. But we have survived and we are still there. Um, my son is not an esotericist as I am. He uh, politely listens to the stories and he revels in them. But uh, I take this more seriously. My grandfather uh, loved the stories of our ancestor, but uh, he did not personally believe them. He wanted to believe them, but uh, he just could not bring himself to uh, actually put the great faith in the stories that I do. And on top of that, how do I say this? Carefully. My journey is one down the rabbit hole, so I did not choose this. Uh, it came to a point in my life where I was getting a little bit older and something just clicked in me which said, you need a change. And some things were not working out. And my life had just, uh, old doors were closed for me and I had no choice but to do and become the person that I am now. So in terms of the esotericism and uh the eccentrism that goes with spirituality and all of this. Uh, there is one of the children that does believe in that, but uh, his devil has uh, taken a hold of him. That's not the favorite number one son that runs everything, but it's a middle child. And uh, perhaps maybe one day he will overcome the devil because he has great faith in spirituality and Buddhism and religious tenets. But the, the, you see, these are very, very difficult things to pass on to people because it has to be an individual choice. It has to be uh, whether the child or grandchildren are ready to become uh, live on a spiritual path, which is a very serious path. So we go back to you, uh, the listeners asking me, what can a person do to convince their children that they need to leave Egypt? And get out from under the darkness of Egypt and go to the promised land. Uh, these are individual choices that the individual soul uh, must make for itself. You know, Fortune, I think it bears mentioning that nearly every book that you will read on the original St. Germain, and you and I have spoken a little bit about this, uh, the myth or otherwise, he spent a lot of time trying to tell power that the jig was up. He tried to tell the people in charge, bad things are coming. He tried to intervene in any number of ways, and it all fell to hell anyhow. And I wonder how much of your family back in those days benefited from his insights. Well, the famous general died before the revolution. Uh, he was in retirement. 
and he was drummed out, retired early because he wanted to introduce uh, strict Prussian military techniques to modernize and make the army more efficient, which was not uh, appreciated in his time, but it eventually was instituted into the army under the next generation and principally by Napoleon. So in order to win wars, they had to be more, more disciplined and they did know he was somebody very, very special uh, in the family. And uh, he had worked miraculous. He, he did work miracles and did miraculous things. But unfortunately, uh, the, it was not heeded. And you can even go to the Russian Empire before the fall of the Tsar and speak about the miraculous Count Witta. Uh, he was not a spiritual man. And, but he did miraculous things because of his mind. And there was a man that could have saved the Russian Empire had they listened to him. Count Sergei Witta, and he wrote a book, The Twilight of Imperial Russia. Uh, he died during the war. And if you want to read about a genius of the early 20th century, uh, we talk about Count Sergei Witta, but uh, the same thing over a hundred and something years later. He was not listened to either. Can you suggest any books, references, or insight into understanding heraldry and its esoteric meanings? Uh, this is an easy one. Save yourself a lot of trouble. Heraldry, uh, as we say, uh, everybody in terms of being a king tries to trace his lineage, and I'm laughing at this, back to some god uh, or half-man, half-god that was born of a virgin and uh, an unearthly god. Uh, so everybody in Egypt tried to trace their lineages back to uh, Isis and Osiris. Uh, and we have the mystical traditions where they all tried to trace their lineage back in Europe in many ways to either King David or um, actually Jesus, the virgin birth in Greek. Hercules, who was a, a child of a woman who had been uh, impregnated by Zeus, uh, the pagan wizard Merlin. So the heraldry has mysticism uh, because they're all trying to claim that they have some divine right that came from heaven uh, when the only divine right anyone has is the good deeds that they do in humility to change the world in a spiritual way. Fortunate, if I'm not mistaken, the queen that just supposedly died, doesn't she claim lineage to both Jesus and Muhammad? Didn't they do that at one point? Well, you know, you, you're, you're allowed. You, I mean, no one's going to stop you. It's all ridiculousness. Uh, to, you can claim anything. Queen Victoria took it into her mind that uh, she was a, a descendant of King David and since that time, all of the male members of the royal household are circumcised, just as the Hohenzollern princes are. So you, you can believe anything. It doesn't make any sense that we would be trying to free black slaves while killing Native Americans. Will Fortune clear up any thoughts on the two going alongside in the same timeline? And if the slavery in that time was only blacks, my current understanding is that they were white, black, and native. Well, if we go to slavery, uh, just know this. There is nothing more profitable 
in the history of the world than slavery. You buy a slave and you have it for life, male or female, uh, and it performs whatever tasks you tell uh, he, she, it. Uh, there was more slavery of whites being sold into white slavery to the Ottoman Empire than there ever were of blacks that crossed the ocean here to the Americas. And one of the reasons that slavery was petering out was because it was becoming harder and harder to collateralize and insure the slaves. So we go to ancient Rome. Had ancient Rome really had a free trade economy, it would have done much better than the slavery, which had frozen out many of the professions that we have today because your slaves did those professions for you at home. And uh, all people, uh, we have to get used to this, and it's still going on in many areas of the world, uh, child slavery, sexual trafficking, and even legalized slavery in various third world areas uh, of the world. Remember that Mauritania only legally abolished slavery in 1980. Uh, Saudi Arabia legally abolished it in 1970. And uh, the Ottoman Empire had slavery up until its fall uh, and during uh, right after the World War I. So when we talk about these things, we are all on the wrong path if you think that slavery is simply racial. Today's victor was yesterday's slave or victim, and today's victim was yesterday's victor. We live in a hodgepodge world here where basically anything goes and whatever we allow. So uh, there, were, there were actually black plantation owners who had slaves. Uh, it's not as cut and dry as we think it is. So remember, whenever love of money comes in to uh, the um, equation, and I say love of money, not money, but lust for money, everything else goes out the window. Uh, and right now you're going to see the more the most profitable thing that ever has happened in the history of the world will be automation because it will be worse than slavery because you will not be needed anymore as a human being. All right, I'm going to make a comment before we get into this next question. It's about politics, specifically about RFK. Go back and read the description for the last episode, 532. Read the description for that. I detect the red blue mind virus in this question. I detect someone searching for help where no help is coming forthwith. Our government is a corporation. Who does a corporation serve? If you don't want to listen to anyone in the world, go to 1919 Michigan Supreme Court. They will tell you who a corporation serves. It is, in fact, the shareholders. Our government is a corporation. Go ahead, Jason. Can you please give more information about the Kennedy family, particularly if they were trying to do good? Do you have an opinion on RFK Jr.? Are there any good people in the political sphere, or is it completely co-opted? All right. The higher you climb on the ladder, the more bought you are on this ladder and this game. All political machines have not always been corrupt. The original political machine of the United States, just like Rome or Egypt, uh, I'm sorry, uh, Egypt actually at the beginning, and uh, ancient Athens, uh, as time went on, it became corrupt. As I told you, 
Think more of deals rather than conspiracies, deals of greed and deals of stupidity, the selling of the soul. Most of the time, these deals are in the open and they're totally ignored or overlooked. Uh, you go to the Kennedys, uh, I would say, you have to remember Ted Kennedy was a powerful senator who worked within and served the machine for many, many years. And he was the brother of both assassinated Kennedys. The Kennedys themselves as brothers were a mixed bag. Whatever their ideas or their politics were, you don't go assassinating people to remove them or because you don't agree with them. Once the assassinations start, that is, that is Rome and Athens in its decline. Uh, you don't have to agree with people politically. Uh, as we said, the great days of Athens and Rome were about rhetoric, rhetoric and great debates and sharing ideas uh, and, and having discussions in the Senate and uh, uh, trying to sway people in the field of ideas and uh, through debate and discussion. So when you get to the Kennedys, uh, I would say that they were a mixed bag. Uh, they were trying to uh, get a hold on the machine because it had slipped through Eisenhower's hands. And as we said, the last person that had any control over the machine was Truman. So by the time the Kennedys got there, their problem was that they thought that uh, he thought he was president and that he could actually do something about it. The person who had the most chance of doing anything to uh, reign in the machine and uh, destroy the CIA was Richard Nixon because he knew where all the bodies were buried. He knew Washington inside and out, having been a vice president twice under Eisenhower, and then a senator from California when all these agencies were being set up under Truman. Uh, there were many things that were kept from the Kennedys, uh, and that's why he instilled his brother in the Justice Department. So when he called down and he said to Bobby, uh, I want this investigated and I want this taken seriously, get on it, that he would do it instead of Trump calling down to uh, Bob Barr and Barr saying, you're absolutely right, Mr. President, we'll get on it. And then nothing was done. So you're looking at uh, a mixed bag of things. Uh, Joseph Kennedy was a very shrewd, rough, uh, and in many ways, an, an ethical businessman. And the two Kennedy brothers wanted to do things in a little different way than the father did because he was not the most savory character. So I hope that this answers the question for you. What does Fortune think of Thomas Paine? Well, the founding fathers all played a very, very good role. And uh, I would warn everybody that just because people were part of certain societies at that time does not mean that those societies were co-opted because they were not fully co-opted yet. Everybody has good and bad in them. So um, when we do spiritual readings on people, you ask, are they service to self or service to others? Uh, everybody has a little bit of the darkness and the money lust in them and the greed and the sex lust. These are part of living uh, on our planet. Uh, and when we look at the people who founded the United States, the founding of the United States in itself is a hodgepodge. 
the founding of the United States is miraculous that it ever became founded and that for the first few generations, you actually did have freedom and you were a sovereign citizen. So all of these people come together in a cauldron to try to uh, iron things out. So uh, one warning, do not look at everybody that belongs to certain societies at that time as being co-opted or evil because the societies themselves were not yet co-opted. The Illuminists were a different story, um, and they had not yet co-opted the Freemasons. But look at what these people wrote and their heroic deeds and what they uh, led the world into, because uh, even though our democracy is gone and all of the old values are either almost dead or dying or gone totally, uh, we would not even be able to be having these conversations right now if it were not the founding fathers uh, and their love of Greco-Roman ideals and the Great Age of Enlightenment, which was the 1700s. You know, I would add real quickly, everybody from that era that Fortune's referring to, how do you suppose they wrote their documents? Would have been handwriting, right? Cursive. Well, we live in the era where the children are no longer taught how to write or read handwriting. You can kind of see where we are. Go ahead, Jason. Is there a personage not widely known that Fortune considers worth researching? <laughs> I'm laughing, Fortune. <laughs> uh, Count Sergei Witta of the Russian Empire. He was, as I said before, he became prominent with the Tsar's father, Tsar Alexander III who, uh, although he was a very strong leader and some say a tyrant, on his deathbed, he told Nicholas, his son, the last Tsar, to listen to Count Witta, for he was the noblest and smartest of all of the ministers. And actually, the last Tsar did not listen to him. Had he done that, uh, Russia would have never entered the war, and it would have become a constitutional monarchy, and it would have saved Russia and the world a lot of problems. There are many, many people through the ages. You might want to look up the professors Baird. Uh, they were history professors in the late 18, early 1900s. Uh, they are great, great heroes of their time. They're basically forgotten. Uh, you might want to look up uh, young Crow's favorite, Professor Budge, who was the greatest, uh, uh, a great Egyptologist and one of the greatest storytellers and the most invited guest in London in the Victorian and Edwardian eras to tell his stories to at dinner parties and gatherings, Professor Budge. Uh, uh, let's see, who else could we go to? The Forgotten Heroes. Uh, for those out there, uh, um, I'm giving a homework assignment since the listeners have given me a homework assignment. For our next show, please send in a list of forgotten heroes or people that nobody has ever heard of that are heroes of history that are forgotten. And I know that there's no better um, listenership than Mr. Uh, Young Crows. So I'm thinking as I'm speaking and trying to draw out great, gen great genii of history who have been forgotten. While you're thinking about it, I'll make the comment about Wallace Budge. 
he's they actually poke you in the eye. What's Jason? What's the movie? Stargate, right? That's the movie. Not not yep. I think it was also a TV show. Yeah, it was. There's a Kurt Russell movie called Stargate, and they can't crack the infernal code in Egyptian hieroglyphics. So they bring in a guy who they've been working for months or whatever, and this guy does it in an hour or something like that. But they make a comment about Budge uh, right there and then, but they reverse the importance of Budge. Uh, I have always suspected, and fortunately I have talked about this, that Budge did a much better job saying what things meant than people like Dr. Zahi Mayas. Anyhow, did you come up with anyone else, Fortune? I'm thinking that, you know, uh, Count Witter, because he was a genius and he had built this Trans-Siberian Railroad, but I'm going to do my own homework. Many of them would be scholars. One was the Emperor Majorian, 457 to 461, the man who almost saved the Roman Empire and was murdered, uh, that Gibbon said uh, should have lived in the glory days of Rome because the Romans at that time, when they were virtuous, deserved such a virtuous ruler as Majorian. Uh, and going back further, some of these people would be, I'm giving you a clue, would be philosophers and educators. Uh, and many of them would be people that were behind the scenes, not people who were string pullers behind the scenes, but general intellectuals. Uh, a great forgotten hero of history and religion would be Joseph Campbell, the great professor and writer on myth and religion. Basil L. Gildersleeve, the classic scholar of the United States. And uh, as we go on with the program, I will try and think of other names. I could remind you of some we've talked about, but I don't know if they fit here. What about the gentleman in the Middle East, the oil guy? Uh, Gulbenkian. Well, <laughs> I don't know what kind of hero. He was a hero to himself. He was the original Mr. Five or Ten Percent. Well, it's not here. Wait, wait a minute. It's not heroes. It's people worth researching was the question. So not necessarily heroes. I mean, you. I, I, I know we've talked about so many people no one's heard about. Gulbenkian is one of them, but I'm not heroes. It's just people worth researching was the was the question. What about someone like Theodore Adorno? Oh, well, for those of you out there who would like to research a great sophist and a scoundrel, Theodore Adorno, uh, that is a great, great, that, that is a great one. Uh, and for our next program, I'll go, wow, this is going to be one of the greatest homework assignments I've ever had. Theodore Adorno, let's go. I'm trying to think as we go back. I could bring up five that you've told me about. Gobekian is one guy who basically cornered the oil market. No one's ever heard of him. What about the man? Well, maybe this isn't the place for that. I was going to mention the man from the South down there. You know what I'm referring to? Help me out. Eh, it's probably not for here. Maybe <laughs> we're in hour one. We're, we're in, we're in open public street. How about we keep moving? If you want to research three people who are forgotten right now, they were movers and shakers. They actually almost cornered the gold market. James B. Fisk, his partner Gould, who became one of the richest robber barons, and Daniel Drew, they all outsmarted Vanderbilt in uh, getting control of the Erie Railroad. Uh, so they are some people to take a look at in terms of uh, their business shrewdness. And they used the techniques 
that all the other robber barons had invented uh, against them. And up until the time, nobody had made money faster than uh, Jay Gould. And he was so hated, he had to have a food taster uh, because he was quicker and smarter than they were. He used their own techniques against them. And then when they realized that uh, he was using their techniques against them, uh, they felt fooled and cheated because he had made fools out of them using their own techniques, and they didn't even realize it. Uh, watering the stock comes from the way they used to put the cattle on the cars, and they would, uh, before the cattle would go on the car and was weighed, they'd have the cattle drink as much water as it could, so they would weigh the cattle at higher prices. And then when they had gotten control of the Erie Railroad, Vanderbilt um, had felt so cheated and outsmarted that he said, I will break them. I will ship any amount of cargo on $1 per freight wagon in my railroad to break them. So Fisk and Gould said, well, we just can't compete with that. So we'll ship our goods on his railroad. What is the truth about the Holocaust and six million souls? Uh, this is a very, very sensitive topic that I am not going to discuss uh, on the show. Uh, and uh, it is a sacred cow. And I'll just give people a little bit of a hint. History always needs to be investigated. And we should always investigate all forms of history and discuss because nothing changes more than the past. And that's through researching. We learn more and more about history. Uh, this is a sacred cow and nobody likes a, an idol uh, to be broken. Um, it's a very sensitive issue for many, many. Uh, and in just general, uh, be very careful of taboo topics, topics you're told that can never be touched or never discussed or never researched or contradicted because they're written in stone. So as we know that there is very little written in stone in this world and that uh, we need to research everything and to keep going into history to find out uh, what really happened. I found very curious that General Patton said at the end of the war, we fought the wrong enemy, that he meant the real enemy were the Soviets, not the uh, Germans. So just for everybody listening, I have a feeling part of what Fortune just said was for my benefit, because he knows that years ago I was told not to touch this ever. And uh, well, I will not be censored entirely. I will add this. If you care to do research, you can still find, if you are diligent, three or four accounts prior to or before World War II, where there's a claim that six million Jews had been killed. With that, Jason, let's move on from this. I would add that the few people who are in the truth community who do look into this usually have bad things befall them, like Dr. Jim Fetzer. Risk versus reward, and this is not the place to die on a hilltop somewhere. I, I will quote President Garfield. He said, the truth does set us 
free. But first, it makes us all very miserable. <laughs> yeah. there, there you go. <laughs> My question for Fortune is about the civilization that was in America just before it was discovered around 1492 or so. There's evidence on old maps that people lived all over America and built most of the old classical state buildings before Europeans arrived. These buildings were seen in the world fairs. I have also seen pictures of Egyptian artifacts and structures from the Grand Canyon. The amount of black slaves that existed could never have been transported with shipping and must have already been living in America. Does he know any true history of these people and or what happened to them? I don't know if that's entirely accurate. People well, claiming that there are buildings of grandeur in America, that's not proven as far as I've been able to find. Well, they're also making the assumption that what they just said is true. Anyhow, do you get the gist of what was said, Fortune? Basically, some of these stately buildings preceded arrival of the Europeans, and one of the places they were seen, according to this, was the World Fairs. I can talk a little bit about the Grand Canyon. I do know something about that, but go ahead, Fortune. Okay, let's do this. Very simple for those who love the esoteric questions and answers. 10,500 BC was the last time that there was the Atlantean uh, culture uh, that had branched out after its fall. Its technology waned in the It was about 10,000 BC, 10,500 BC. So it was about 500 years after the sinking uh, of the last part of Atlantis that some of these colonies carried on and the uh, technology existed. What you saw with the mystery schools was the original ones from Egypt uh, was they were trying to preserve the knowledge of Atlantis. And that's why they called it the mystery schools. Some was esoteric, some was spiritual, and others were tried technology. When you see some of these temples and these buildings built, and you talk about that they were built, uh, the churches, uh, uh, and they had some forms of uh, magnetic resonance, and they were able to tap from the ethers, that is true. Whether the people building them exactly knew what it was or not, and they, uh, and they were just following what was preserved in the mystery schools, uh, is anyone's guess, but uh, we, uh, young Crow and I have spoken about this. So when you see various things, and occasionally these things are turned on, and you see the electricity and power being generated, that is because that's the way these buildings were built from the previous times that were left over from the remnants of the Atlanteans. There is nowhere on earth that you will find trans, uh, the receivers. Yes, it is true that these were transmitters, and even in some of the altars of the churches, they were built in certain ways from the pagans, which were transmitted and received from the Atlanteans. But there, there's nowhere on earth that you can find a receiver for me, that these things were being transmitted and then they were being received by anyone. You are not the first renters of the uh, apartment or the home on this planet. There were many civilizations and cultures before of various degrees. The last one that you know about was Atlantis because that was the famous one that came from the uh, readings of Edgar Cayce and the Awakening and uh, through 
uh, Plato in the Timaeus of Athens was told to him by Solon, and the Egyptians that had recorded uh, the Atlantean history uh, that was left over from the reign of the gods, which was the Atlanteans who had come to settle various parts. So yes, there are pyramids all over the world because the Atlanteans were pyramid builders. And yes, the capstone also was a transmitter. They, they had multiple purposes. Um, so these things do exist. As for the Tartaria thing and the mud flood, it's not there. You'd have to find uh, some books and you would have to find um, documents. That there's nothing in the histories that point to this. In my kind way, I'm telling you that it didn't happen. All right. I will add on to the tale of that. Part of what you asked here is Grand Canyon. And first, let me say so much of the mud flood, Tartaria and other things, there are so many aspects that are truly important points, much more important than whether there was a certain people or civilization or whatever the things get argued about, whether they were generating energy, what these buildings did. These are far more important. But in the Grand Canyon, so many things were covered up. In the Southwest, in general, any single person with a modicum of brain power and the ability to research old newspapers, which can still be found to some degree, you will find account after account of amazing things found in the Southwest. And almost every time, maybe not every time, this is what happens. Guy goes out finds an amazing thing, says, oh my God, I'm going to change the world. I'm going back to get some funding. Lord behold, he gets his funding. Guess where? The Smithsonian. The Smithsonian funds them. They go back on their next expedition. You never hear about it again. For anyone who's wondering about the Smithsonian, I believe, you guys can correct me if you know better, I think the vice president is the chair of the vice president of the United States is the chair of the Smithsonian. I think that's correct. Maybe I should look before I leave. Anyhow, just simply go back and skim early 1900 newspaper articles from small towns all over the Southwest, and you will find a hell of a lot of history was covered. And it's, it's, not, it's not this, though, that was in the question. Things like big skeletons, uh, civilizations that are remnants from the fall of Atlantis, these kinds of things. Anyhow, go ahead, Jason. That's actually going to do it for hour one. Oh, we're there. Okay, uh, I'm going to wrap it up real quick. We're going to take a short break, come back for hour two. We've still got quite a number of questions to get through. Thank you for hour one, Fortune. Um, that'll bring hour one of episode 535 to a close. Hour one is free to everybody at crow777radio.com. That is C-R-R-O-W-777radio.com. Members know to log in for the full two-hour, two-hour-plus episode. They get access to all the forums. They get access to comments that are centric under every episode. The comments areas are centric to the episode. And they get free access to the two-hour film that Jason created called Shoot the Moon, which includes all my scope work to include The Sun We Don't See. Near the end is the initial filming of what I call The Sun We Don't See, which is getting filmed an awful lot lately. Uh, with that, we're going to wrap up, and I'd like to wish you all a happy, healthy, and higher-minded new era, and join us for hour two uh, shortly. Cheers.
belief is the enemy of knowing.